Welcome everyone to the Empower Hour. Thank you for being here. We're so glad you can join us. Action for Canada's founder, Tanya Gaw, will be coming on in just a moment to share updates and information with us. She'll be joined by Quest Fewitt, a university student who will give us an update on how the lockdowns and unlawful mandates of the past two years have affected him and his peers. Our special guest speaker tonight is David Lindsay, and he'll be speaking about the importance of the coronation oath and what it means to Canadians. We'll be having a Q&A following his presentation. I have to tell you that one of the highlights of my week is choosing a Bible verse to share with you with the hope that you'll be encouraged. From 2 Corinthians 4, 18, we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Action for Canada is a grassroots movement reaching out to millions of Canadians and uniting our voices in opposition to the destructive policies tearing at the fabric of our nation. Through call to action campaigns, we equip citizens to take action. We are committed to protecting faith, family and freedom. For some of you here tonight, it's your very first time attending the Empower Hour, and it's always my pleasure to introduce you to Tanya Gaw, the founder of Action for Canada. For the past several years, Tanya has been working to bring awareness to government policies that are damaging our beloved country. And with Action for Canada, she has created an amazing campaign to bring truth to our nation. Because of Tanya's great love for our country, she's always willing to share information regarding our rights and freedoms, and her goal is to teach and empower each and every one of us to learn how to stand up for those rights. Tanya's faith in God gives her the courage and strength to take a stand as she helps and inspires hurting people all across this nation. Tanya, over to you. Thank you, Heather. I love that little music in there. Thanks, Dorenzio, for that. <laughs> Anyways, welcome, everyone. Thank you, Heather, so much for the orientation and introduction and doing all the updates, especially for those people who are new. Welcome. We hope that you enjoy Heather's presentation so that you get a little bit of an idea what it is that Action for Canada is up to and the resources that we are providing. And so on that, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to get straight to my update so that we can bring quest on and hear from him as we've been saying for some times sometime we believe that of course the future um, has a huge dependency on our youth and so we are uh, committed to give the youth and the young people and the young adults a platform so that they can have a voice and let you know how the last two years have been affecting them and our hope is that they will um, be able to affect uh, other youth who are going through this and young people um, who feel like maybe they're alone and that there's not others that would be in agreement or feel the same way they do. All right, so Trenzio, I'm just gonna share my screen. We'll get right to the action this week. And then again, I can't wait to have David Lindsay on this week because I'm really looking forward to him educating us further. So we all thought that he only talked about the rule of law and uh, this man has studied the history and the coronation oath, which I'm excited to get to. And speaking of that, um, I'm just gonna go straight in. For those of you who are new, if you go to call to action, 
under weekly emails, that's where you'll find what we post every week. I'd encourage you even to go back and see the series that I'm working on right now. It's what is the value of a, a country like Canada being founded on Christian biblical principles? And it is actually the core to our freedoms and democracy. And so with that, we're exposing some counterfeits and some frauds and some things that the World Economic Forum and the globalists are doing uh, to break down Christianity in Canada so that they can gain more control. And the reason is if they destroy Christianity in Canada, they destroy our rule of law because our rule of law is based on the biblical principles that our founding fathers had uh, created. And so then we know they're working towards a one world government, a new world order, and uh, a one world religion. And so I have been saying in the last couple of weeks that it's just not Christianity that they wanna destroy, it's all religions. And a friend of mine who's on our team had sent this to me just in case, I know my screen wasn't wasn't working last time. And so this is a community type center down in Vancouver and their sign on the street says, spiritual but not religious. And you can see up here all of the symbols for all the different religions. And so this was posted on their building. And I don't know if you recognize this symbol, but this is the UN symbol for a one world religion. So they're taking all the different religions and basically they're saying we all serve the same God, just many paths, and they're going to eventually just destroy all religions, uh, whether you're a Sikh, whether you're a Muslim, whether you're a Buddhist, uh, because uh, they have an idea what they feel on their philosophies, their sick, bent philosophies, uh, what kind of uh, demonic religion uh, they would like to see happen. And the reason I call it demonic is because we can see here that, okay, so David Spangler, Spangler he is uh, really deeply into the United Nations, New World, World Order, etc. And this is his quote, no one will enter the New World Order unless he or she will make a, a pledge to worship Lucifer. No one will enter the New Age unless he will take a Luciferian initiation. And so we got to take this pretty serious when we see these kind of symbols popping up now in our town and say, okay, this isn't conspiracy theory and maybe what Tanya and Action for Canada, uh, the message we're trying to get out, get out has some substance to it. And so I have said it is up to the Islamists to fight for Islam in the Quran in their countries. It is up to the Sikhs to fight for Sikhism in their countries, Buddhists, etc. But in Canada, because our democracy is based on Christianity, we all need together to come together and fight for Christianity in Canada, whether you're a Christian or not. That's what this country is founded on and that's what our uh, security of a nation and the freedoms that we enjoy have been built on unlike the other nations I named who are living under oppression and uh, people would love to be living in freedom there, but their system of belief, uh, their governance based on those systems do not operate like Western nations built on Christian principles. And so David, when I met him nearly two years ago in July, he was the first one that brought the coronation oath uh, to my awareness. And I won't go into all of it. He will read the report. Uh, the coronation oath uh, secures Canada as a Christian nation being governed in that manner.
And that's why I say your property rights, everything are protected under this. We just got to take authority over this against the government. So of course, every week, I always say who the guest is for the Empower Hour. And then I'm just gonna quickly cover, so excited. We have new resources that many of you have been uh, waiting for. We have a mask notice of liability that uh, David had crafted. It's now on the website on the notice of liability page. I'll just show you where you can find it here under call to action, notices of liability. So if you go to the webpage, click there, you will see it at the top. It says new in red and you can find uh, this document. So we are asking people to use it en masse because absolutely crazy, they're still expecting people to wear masks even though they list, lifted the restrictions. And as I've been saying consistently, uh, they cannot, they can mandate masks all they like, but you don't have to follow along with it because it's not law in Canada. And the reason it's not law, because you cannot interfere with an individual's right to breathe freely. So there is no legislation in Canada saying you got to wear a mask. There's just bullies making you think you do. And they're having the authority to intimidate you and extort you into wearing them. Otherwise, you don't get a service or maybe your job. All right. So this was a great video that uh, a new a uh, fellow that's on our team had created uh, regarding kids. I'd highly recommend that you watch that. And then I'm going down the other one we needed. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, this is important. This is the notice of liability against rapid antigen testing. As we've known, it is in violation. It's a criminal offense under the Genetic Non-Discrimination Act. Three to five years in jail, million dollar fine. Nobody's taken it too seriously. So we're working towards laying private information and criminal charges against certain individuals uh, to make sure that hopefully we can set a precedent and get this working on behalf of people. It's also um, in violation of the criminal code to use extortion or intimidation to get people to subject themselves to this or any medical treatment. I have had success using the information in the new notice of liability. Uh, the city, I won't mention what city it was, uh, a city staff member had been on sick leave while they brought in uh, mandating rapid testing. They had to come back, not sick leave, sorry, they had an injury. They come back to, uh, they're going to come back to work the night before they say, oh, don't forget, give us your vac status or uh, give us your uh, uh, rapid antigen uh, results. And so this template letter I had created. And so I would highly recommend that if you're in the position where they're forcing you to take the rapid antigen testing, that you kind of follow along. So this was the city manager, uh, not the city manager, the uh, um, employees manager saying, hey, you know, you got to, he's just doing his job. He just thinks he's a good guy doing his job saying, hey, don't forget, you know, got to do the rapid testing. And so then comes the letter to, to the supervisor. And um, I had laid this out. And so the employee was very courageous and ended up sending it to them saying, it's not only unlawful, but you're causing harm through the sodium azide and the chemicals that are in here. And it's also causing harm to the environment. And it's again, a criminal offense. Anyways, please read this. It has a huge environmental impact with all this rapid testing because it contains sodium azide. Everybody's pouring this down their drains. Don't tell me Trudeau or any of them care about our environment. This is a highly toxic uh, chemical that's going into our system en masse. And so the manager comes back and says, oh, you know, it's just it's policy. You got to do it. And he comes back saying other employees may not know their rights and the rule of law, but I do. 
and I will not subject myself to being physically assaulted or forced to take a medical procedure at threat of not being permitted to work. So I'm going to stop talking about all this now, and um, but I just want to show you where the templates are. I'll go into the notice of liability page. We reviewed all of this yesterday at Tuesday's meeting. I invite you or encourage you to come to the Tuesday calls because we try to have Q&A and go over this material. This video I did yesterday will be on the Workers Unite page. And um, so if you go right here, further response template letters, pops down the page. Thank you, Jenny, for that. She set this page up so wonderfully, so user-friendly. And then if you go down right here to public body, letter templates, it's right here. Okay, so letter to city, it's sort of a whole line. I got vaccination mandated, stopped in the city, as well as um, people being putting people on unpaid leave. It's been awesome, it's been effective, but they still wanted to do the rapid antigen testing. The um, end of this story is, is that the employee refused to take it, said you better talk to your legal team uh, because this is unlawful. We gave a good letter there and he has been working ever since without taking one test. And so you just got to know the law, you got to know how to work it, you got to have the authority and you just have to keep pressing in my friends. And we're trying to give you all the resources possible in order to do that. You're not all going to be successful, because that depends, of course, on the individual, but at least you're setting yourself up when this starts to unravel and it will unravel, you're going to be in the best position if you took action because you have proof and evidence to support yourself. And as you may have heard in Richmond, the unions were working on behalf of um, individuals. I'm just gonna put stop share now. The unions were working on behalf of the city workers in Richmond, and it ends up that they were not only provided back pay for being put illegally on unpaid leave, they were also given all of their vacation payback. Right? This is good. We just got to keep pressing in. So have courage. Yeah, woo! <laughs> So take courage, take heart. I know some of you are on unpaid leave. It's so diabolical. It's so criminal. My heart goes out to you. And that's why Action for Canada and our team across Canada are working so hard. And on that as well, I want to encourage you to get involved in the chapters. We got up to 150 chapters. We've had a little bit of a delay in expanding that. We had some glitches because we're growing so fast. Some people weren't having emails returned. And so we've been putting kind of a pause on it till we could catch up and kind of get the infrastructure built. And uh, we feel that we're getting closer to being at a, a point where we're um, vetting again, and we're going to be growing up those numbers. We're committed to 300 and being at least 338 chapters across Canada. Okay, so Heather, would you come on please and let's bring on our first guest, Quest. And thank you once again, Tanya, for all your excellent updates. They're so important for everyone to be hearing. I am so thrilled to be able to introduce our next guest, Quest Fewett. Quest is 20 years old and a university student. He's very concerned about the direction Canada is going and is also troubled by the indoctrination in the educational system. We're so thankful that he is willing to speak up about how the unlawful mandates and loss of freedoms have affected him and his peers. Please help me welcome for the very first time ever to the Empowerment our hour, Quest Fewitt. Welcome, Quest. Hi, thanks for having me on. 
Good to have you here, Quest. We want to just give you the floor right now and share with us what it's been like in the last two years for you. Okay, well, when COVID, well, COVID as in the, the lockdowns first hit, I was in my second semester of high school. Uh, so I originally just thought my graduation was going to get crushed, that uh, COVID would last for like about four months. And then uh, turns out it lasted, you know, till now. So that's uh, two years. Uh, specifically, how it affected me and my peers specifically is... Um, so my generation, I'm sure old people love complaining about the younger generations, but seriously, my generation, the social statistics of my generation is not very good. We're one of the most mentally ill generations, if not the most mentally ill generation. We have very high rates of substance abuse. We're very depressed and we're very lonely. And this is before the pandemic happened. So during the pandemic, I've only seen more social isolation, social decay. And really a lot of um, people my age are now being put on um, de uh, depress uh, depressive medication. They're getting put on antidepressants. They're getting put on uh, codeine or just a whole slew of drugs by doctors. And I've just seen my generation is now so unfriendly because they really buy into this um, COVID stuff. They, they mask very frequently. And it's just so depressing because the reason that this is all happening is it has been 20, 30, 40 years in the making. Um, as, uh, as Action for Canada's uh, very happy to share with everyone, our education system is very, very deeply broken because it's an inherently liberal, or I guess woke is a better term, organization. I remember when I was, even in elementary, I was being taught about LGBTQ stuff. This is from you know kindergarten to grade 12. I was being taught about, you know, opening our borders, how socialism is, you know, really helpful and beneficial to us. So as, you know, to all the parents out there, uh, like, I'm very lucky that I, you know, that I, I kept my head on straight, I suppose. But it's just very sad because I know I'm sure a lot of people in this audience, too, has found this where even their own kids are, you know, incredibly woke or turning against what their parents want or because my own, you know, my own brother is also incredibly woke, and he's from my family with me in it. And another very depressing thing about the COVID-19 situation is when I was a kid, I trusted doctors, I trusted scientists, and I trusted the government. And all three of these areas have failed me and led to the situation where we're at now. So it's, it's just very depressing seeing all of the institutions that you used to trust and used to think you know, we're fact-based and logical are just political, um, just political actors. Wow. Okay, Quest, like, thank you. I mean, can you imagine you are honestly, you're going to be a leader of the future. We're so proud of you. When I hear you speak with such wisdom, understanding and knowledge, I just commend you. And I'm encouraged to hear it at the same time. Um, I've called the, uh, 
public school systems, even private school systems, basically petri dishes of indoctrination. And, uh, you know, I've been fighting for nearly seven years now, uh, the sexual orientation, gender identity, all of what you're talking about of this trans LGBTQ agenda, this should not be part of the school system. And I've been saying for many years that we're the adults, we need to be stepping in and protecting our youth uh, from this attack, because it is affecting their mind, it's affecting the way they think, the uh, climate change propaganda, instilling fear, uh, resentment towards, you know, the parents, so you, you, you know, as if we've polluted all of the world and done this, these horrible things, and none of the statistics as well are accurate there, it's because of all these multi-trillionaire billionaires wanting to make money and that's what's at the root and our kids have uh, had to pay the brunt of this and so quest i guarantee you we at action for canada are bringing awareness we're going to continue to do this and we're fighting really hard on behalf of you and your future and we are wanting to give you a voice because we need our youth fighting with us and we need to figure out a way i'm always saying to tap into the rebellion the natural rebellion but rebellion of our youth and do something positive and good with it and so i'd love it if you'd be part of our team and help us to figure out how to do that <laughs> yeah i'm happy to help in any way possible yeah so heather do you want to come on with us as well um is there anything else that you would like to um add a, a quest or to just if you were to give a word to to youth whether in high school still or just the beginning years of university what would you have to say to them well, unfortunately, by the time most people reach university, they're pretty very well, you know, indoctrinated already. But mm -hmm. I encourage people to like sincerely, I know this is going to sound cliche and that everyone says it, but I sincerely ask of people my age, especially just straight up to listen to the other side. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure if uh, you guys are keeping up social statistics of people my age, but we're incredibly, uh, we're incredibly close minded. Um, most of my studies come from the United States, but I can extrapolate them due to my own experience and due to my knowledge generally of what the youth culture is like. Um, we're very close-minded. Uh, lots of liberals or woke people, I should say, in America are just willing to cut off the other side or any people that dissent from their views. They're just willing to cut off and not interact with. So I know a lot of people, like uh, in my opinion, a, a long-held belief that I've had for my entire life is, you know, organic food is a scam. And mm -hmm. GMOs are 100% good, no matter what, because that was mm -hmm. what I was told my entire life. And I, I never yeah. listened to people who told me to eat organic or never listened to people who had concerns about these things. And mm -hmm. then now I'm, you know, I'm starting to think like, there's truth in this, like we are eating terribly. And part of that is a food process. So I really encourage people to listen to the other side as cliche as that is because you learn a lot. And I feel like a, the biggest problem with my generate, well, not the biggest, but one of the bigger problems is we just completely tune out anything we don't like and we mm -hmm. only listen to uh views that reinforce our own and i right. think that leads to incredible polarization and just hate towards um people who think differently than you i would agree and you know you made the comment of uh you know they don't agree with people who don't think like they do uh think like they do that's even uh, an oxymoron or uh, think like they do they've been indoctrinated in how to think they've been conditioned how to think they've not been taught how to think critically or to question and if they did question there was you know a, a subtle kind of reprimand for it a conditioning an embarrassment in the classroom something uh having kids stand up in classrooms you know the vaccinated on this side the unvaccinated 
vaccinated over there, um, you know, uh, they have that uh, herd mentality and they're counting on that with kids because we as parents, we're bringing, bringing our kids up as well to respect the adults, the authorities in their lives. So it's very clever what they've done. I believe we can undo this. We need a movement in order to undo it, do it. And I believe that if the youth understand that the government is using them as pawns, if we can get that message because they think they're gullible and they're stupid and they don't know how to think on their own and that they'll just follow anything you know uh, that they're presenting to them, I think we may have a chance of undoing this. Something has to click for them. Uh, somebody has asked like, how, was, uh, how, has, how had you made out in university? <laughs> I didn't address that. I actually haven't been on university campus yet because up until I think it's February, basically school's mostly done for me. I wasn't allowed on campus because I chose not to vaccinate myself and mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't allowed on campus because of that. So I've really only been attending um, Zoom calls and on said Zoom calls, not in all of them, but in a lot of them, you know, like the unvaccinated, there were, you know, derogatory comments towards the unvaccinated during them. Or like, oh, this is all the unvaccinated people's fault. Um, university is just as bad, if not worse, than um, you know, than all of uh, high school and elementary. Uh, we're constantly bombarded with, uh, you know, LGTB, um, you know, propaganda and celebrations and panels, and mm -hmm. you know, all all, it's all of the stop. Yeah, all yeah. of the woke propaganda were just absolutely bombarded with in university as well. It it never stops. Yeah. Um, yeah. I basically, I, a lot is on the kids too because the kids have their own volition and they have the right to they have the right to choose their own paths. And if they go on the wrong path, then that's their decision. But I definitely think parents really need to watch out for what they're teaching because my mom didn't know what they were teaching me when I was in elementary or high school, and I didn't know what they were teaching me was wrong so i had no reason to tell her so mm -hmm. i like really parents need to be very involved in what you know information their kids are absorbing and social right. media is also really terrible right yeah that's having a huge effect isn't it so um you know what we're going to need to do i'm realizing because we need to get to david but i think in the next few weeks we're going to have another youth evening and i'm going to want you to come back on quest we're going to have more interaction and conversation i believe that there's questions from our audience that they would like to ask you as well we want to know how um how we can help in talking to the next generation. How we, can we do this in a way to reach out to them? And so I think that uh, that is definitely something that uh, we are going to coordinate and arrange. And so he Heather, was there anything else you wanna add before we bring David on? Yeah, I just wanted to say, Quest, thank you so much for coming on and for standing strong too, and for being an, an example for all the other people in your age group. Thank you. Yeah, it's yep, amazing. Yeah, we're going to have you back on Quest. We really want to figure out how to reach our youth. And I think the best way to do that is to tap into the minds of those that uh, are, are closest. I'm a few years away from my teenage years, so <laughs> I need a little help. All right, awesome. Thank you, Quest. Um, Heather, would you please introduce our special next guest? Yes, it is my privilege to introduce David Lindsay this evening. And I have to say that as soon as Tanya announced on last week's webinar that David was going to be our guest tonight, the chat just exploded. Everyone is always so happy when he comes onto the show. 
David is the co-founder of CLEAR, the Common Law Education and Rights Initiative. He's the author of the Annotated Criminal Charging Procedure in Canada and has been teaching many of you how to lay criminal charges without needing to hire a lawyer. David is a man of integrity and he has a vast knowledge of law. Tonight, he's going to be speaking about property rights, personal rights, Canadian judges, and the coronation oath. David, you are back by popular demand, and on behalf of everyone here, I want to give you a great big welcome to tonight's Empower Hour. Welcome. Thank you. Great to hear there was a, a lot of support out there. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, we're so happy. Thank you, Heather, for the wonderful intro. You have a gift for blessing people when they come on the show. I love it. And yeah. and so, David, so good to have you on. We're going to be talking about a little something different tonight than the norm. And I'm excited about this. Maybe you'll even have something to help parents regarding their children and getting this system, this education system, uh, turned around a little bit. So I am going to just stop. We're going to just get right into it. I'm handing the floor over to you. You've got a presentation that'll be somewhere between 30 and 45 minutes. So we're going to go a little later tonight, my friends. I hope that's okay. I just thought it was so important to bring Quest on um, and, and to start to give you uh, give them a place in our show on a weekly basis, hopefully. That's our plan. All right, David, it's, the floor is all yours. Good evening. Um, it was wonderful to hear Quest speaking, and it, it brought back memories, you know, um, his comments of last year, we did a rally in front of a school here, um, Rutland School in Kelowna. And our whole purpose <clears throat> was to get people coming out of school, kids, children, youths, and to hand out flyers that we had, brochures we had on uh, why masks don't work and they shouldn't be wearing them and so on. And we just got attacked. Um, kids took our, our signs, some of them cost like 80, 90 bucks. Um, they took our signs, they were breaking them, smashing them, and uh, a couple kids walked off and stole them. And um, it, it was really a nightmare. Several of the um, of the girls that were in our group just just left in tears. And um, subsequently, we, we've got a police investigation going. Our, our goal is simply to get an apology from the two main youths that uh, that instigated it. But I, I see his point when he says the uh, the youth today are basically lost. And uh, I witnessed that firsthand at uh, at the rally we had. So hopefully that can be changed. Um, took to get to this part anyway, but um, yeah, so in, in any event, on the issues that um, that we're here for tonight, um, yeah, Tanya, we had met two years ago almost in Victoria, and Tanya was up speaking, um, and it was wonderful to hear finally somebody talking about the necessity and the desire of, of complying with God's laws, and it right, immediately struck a chord. And uh, I brought up the issue of the coronation oath, and uh, it, it basically was the foundation for us getting together in the future, which was just awesome. And um, so we definitely um, met on that particular issue, and a lot of people have um, are now aware of it that weren't before. I wasn't aware of it until probably 15 years ago. No, it was longer than that, 18, 19 years ago when it was brought to my attention. And then um, there was no information out there on it. So I did my own research from Osgoode Hall, uh, uh, University of Ottawa, everywhere out, out west here to see what I could find on it. And it was a, um, 
an incredible learning experience because so far everybody, myself included, had been arguing various rights and freedoms issues in relation to primarily the Charter of the British North America Act of 1867. And this put a brand new landscape on what we were going to be arguing and talking about in the future as freedoms. Um, there's a, a maxim in Latin, um, I can't pronounce the Latin, but basically it says the most important part of everything is the beginning. People talk about COVID today, for example, and I tell them, uh, at least in British Columbia, go back to the original orders of Bonnie Henry and find out how she lied on those orders, as did uh, Mike Farnworth, the um, safety minister here, um, and find out how they lied, because everything is based on those original lies. And when we talk about the supremacy of God, that is the most important part in our law, and that is the beginning. All societies that are out there, every one of them, is either is going to have a choice. You're either going to be ruled by statutes or laws that uh, that are made by men, or you're going to be basically ruled by God, one or the other. And you've got basically two options. If you're on an island, you can do whatever you want, of course. If you're out in the woods, you can do whatever you want. But when you start living with people, um, you, you've got an option. If, if somebody's going to tell you what to do, then either you agree to it or somebody's going to do it by force. Force, of course, is unlawful, completely unlawful. So when we look at it from a perspective of somebody's going to mention that they're going to tell you what to do, the first thing you're going to want to do is what's in it for me? What benefits am I going to get? And then the second thing is that you're going to want to put limitations on that power. Anybody who's going to tell you what to do in all aspects of your lives is simply a dictator and a tyrant. You might as well be a slave at that point. And that's clearly not an option either. So you want to have the benefits of somebody being a leader and in charge and at the same time minimizing the power that that person has to maximize your freedom. And it's kind of a correlative that the, 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 the more rights and freedoms you have, the less government you have. And the more government you have, the less rights and freedoms that you're going to have. And nobody, of course, that, that's of same mind is going to let basically somebody else tell them all aspects of their lives and what they can do. And we're certainly getting that way today. And the Constitution that we have developed came about very, very early on. It's um, going back to at least the 900s in uh, AD in England. And that's when the first recorded coronation oath basically began. And it, it goes to the basic principle of protection versus subjection. It's a law of nature. You know, if, um, if cubs want protection from the, the mother bear, they do what they're told, or they're not going to get protected. If they stray off somewhere, well, they're open to being attacked, of course. And same with people in society. If they want protection from a leader, then they have a responsibility to do what the leader says. Limited, of course, by the powers that that leader has, because nobody's going to willingly give this leader, whoever it may be, all the powers they want to have over you. And our constitution is both written and unwritten. Some of it is written. Um, a lot of common law principles are not written anywhere. They were passed down generation to generation, um, originating in the Bible, of course, and going back historically thousands of years. And these rules in our constitution set out the nature of the government you're going to have, 
the nature of, in this particular case, that we have a monarchy that we're going to have and the limitations to those powers. Every monarch that has been in existence throughout our English history and now into Canada has had limitations to those powers. Definitely some have abused it. Absolutely. And um, the, the, the whole thing has resulted in um, a basic revolution. And I go back to what Einstein said, when people um, take no interest in, in, in politics and they take no interest in their rights and freedoms and just let evil people rule over them, then they will. And then eventually the whole cycle will start all over again if, if you don't maintain your rights and freedoms and stand up for them. Which again leads back to leads back to the principle that the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. And that's one of the reasons we're even if masks have been removed um, and various other aspects have been removed, this is not the time to be giving up because they've already admitted they're going to try and bring them back in the fall maybe and they still have the federal mandates uh, many of us thousands if not millions of us still can't fly because we won't get vaxxed so there's still a lot more to go and a long way that we have to go and in canada there's a principle that law the law follows the flag so when england came here all our rich english constitutional law and history came with the flag that came to canada and that includes the coronation oath of the monarch. And all the limitations were set out in her, in her oath that she has to take and every monarch has to take. When, they're, um, when the first monarch dies and then the next one comes in immediately right afterwards. And in our particular case, Queen Elizabeth was, appoint Elizabeth was appointed in 1953. I shouldn't say appointed. She assumed office in 1952 and took her oath in 1953. And it was the first recorded oath, video recorded oath in history. It had never been recorded before. If you weren't lucky enough to attend the ceremony, you heard it from word of mouth and that was about it. So in order for the monarch to be able to give royal assent to legislation, then that legislation has to comply with her oath. If she tries to give legislation that violates her oath and she is committing basically treason and she's breaking the law that she swore to uphold because the contract makes the law. And that ironically includes the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. When Her Majesty signed it on Parliament Hill in 1982, she could not sign that charter if the charter is interpreted in a manner that violates her coronation oath because the oath is where she gets the power to sign the charter. And ironically, the charter is the first document in our history where the monarch has said, these are going to be your rights and freedoms. Every other constitutional document simply recognized that we already had rights and freedoms. The monarchs were breaking them and we were demanding them back. So it's a very different type of document and its interpretation must be done in accordance with the coronation oath of the, uh, of the monarch. And there's three parts that every monarch has had to take since 973 AD. They've been kind of worded differently over the years and the wording was um, basically made certain starting in 1688 with the coronation oath act. And essentially the monarch, in this case, Queen Elizabeth, she has to promise, and I'll, I'll just read you the first part, Will you solemnly promise and swear to govern the people of this kingdom of England and the dominions thereto belonging according to the statutes and parliament agreed on and the laws and customs of the, of the same? 
my first thought reading that is when the monarch is swearing this in, she's swearing to govern according to par laws of parliament agreed on and our laws and customs. So that means those have to, our laws and customs already had to exist before the monarch even got into power. Otherwise she would have nothing to swear to our, our laws and customs if they don't already exist. That means for the monarch to get into power, she is already agreeing that our common fundamental common law rights and freedoms and biblical are there and she, as part of her duty, she's going to protect them. And she's swearing an oath to do that. Second, she says, will you in your power cause law and justice and mercy to be executed in all your judgments? And this is because the, uh, the courts, of course, are the king's courts. And nobody wants to get a parking ticket, to use a modern analogy, and spend 20 years in jail. I think you can look to the U.S. as a good example of countries that jail so many people for minor offenses. Um, it, it's really sad when you see what happens down there. On the other hand, a lot of people complain in Canada, well, all these really serious crimes, people get away with uh, murder up in Canada. And there's some degree of um, legitimacy to that. But... The reason that happens in Canada is because Her Majesty, through her judges, has sworn to give judgment and mercy. And that's exactly why you see some lenient sentences throughout the, um, throughout the court system. And the third one, which I think is probably the most powerful, she, uh, Her Majesty has sworn that will you, to the utmost of your power, maintain the laws of God, the true, pression of, true profession of the gospel, and the Protestant Reformed religion established by law, and will you preserve unto the bishops, clergy of the realm, and to the churches committed to their charge all such rights and privileges as by law do or shall appertain unto any of them. And pursuant to this section, Her Majesty is swearing to uphold to the utmost of her ability the principles of the Protestant Christian religion established by law, which means that was already the law going back even prior to 1688. That was part of our law already. And she takes this, this, this oath, and at the same time she is taking it, this whole ceremony is, is Christian religious based. Every aspect of it, from the swords that are used, to the essential oils that are used, to the procedures that are used, Every aspect of it is based on Christian history and Christian principles. The swords, for example, are listed in where they come from, defense of the just, um, defense of the um, defenseless, I guess, is a good way to put it, uh, people that can't defend themselves. And that goes back to her promises that if people are going to be subject to her laws, she has a duty to protect them. Excuse me. And... That's the nature of projection versus subjection. And if she wants our loyalty, if she wants our allegiance, then she has to comply with that oath. And she has to uphold Christian principles. And going back to in, in the Bible, the first king was in Samuel. And, and God was basically saying, why do you want a king? You are free already. And the people said, no, we want a king. And we want to be able to look like everybody else because everybody else had a king. And finally, God said, okay, um, here is the king you have chosen, to quote from Samuel. The one you asked for, 
See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both of you, you and the king uh, who reigns over you, follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. So essentially what God has said, and this is where our, our biblical history goes right back to, is that if you want a king, fine, I'll give you a king. And if your king obeys my laws, you will prosper. If he doesn't, or if you don't obey my laws, then you will suffer. And all you need to do is look at our Canadian society today and go, wow, we are suffering because Canada has strayed so far from our biblical law, so far from God's laws that we have strayed, that the wrath of God is certainly seeming to come upon people right now. But our history, our biblical um, history, goes all the way back to Samuel. And uh, Saul, of course, was the, uh, was the first king that was appointed, I believe. And if, and there has been a, a lot of kings who've been good. Um, there's been a lot of kings who've been bad. And it's kind of an ebb and tide because those bad kings, we've really, really suffered under them. And interestingly, when the, Her, Her Majesty is sworn in, that picture is a picture of Her Majesty kissing the Bible at her coronal ceremony in England in 1953. The Archbishop presents the Bible as the royal law to her. And as a, as a pivot for a second, people rise when judges come into court, not because the judge is coming in or of any reverence for the judge. They rise because historically the judge walked into court holding the Bible and people rose in respect of the Bible. They didn't rise in respect of the judge. And the judge is no longer bring the Bible into court anymore. So my position is, why should I rise for them? So what I do is I just wait outside the, the, the court door until the judge, if I have to be in court for any reason, and uh, once the judge sits down, then I'll come in. But I don't like the idea of standing for them anymore. So Her Majesty kisses the Bible, and all power that she has, everything flows from that oath. And that's the maxim of law. If, if she doesn't take that oath, she has no power. She cannot give any laws that tell you what to do, period. So the oath preserves our common law that she swore to protect, which is also based on the supremacy of the individual, not the collective. Every constitutional document we have, every one of them, recognizes the supremacy of God that Her Majesty swears and is by... And these oaths, um, same as when you go to court, uh, if you have to swear an oath to give evidence, they're not meaningless. These are critical. Everything she does is based on this oath. And if she violates that oath, she has no power. And all our laws come from the Bible. So even if you're not religious, if you're an atheist or secular or whatever, you get the benefits. Murder didn't come about because it was the best law to have to preserve life. It came about because God told people, don't do it. And that's where our law came from. And that's all our law can be traced back directly to God's laws in the Bible. And the other aspect is that everybody who works in the government for the monarch also has to swear an oath of allegiance and an oath of office. And there's only two options. When they swear that oath, they either know what they're swearing or they don't. If they don't know what they're swearing to the, to the monarch, then they're swearing out a false oath, 
which essentially is probably perjury, and they should be charged accordingly. It's not a trivial matter. And if they do swear the oath and they go and break it later, then they've been breaking their oath as well. And possibly they could get charged with fraud or a number of other offenses for breaking their oath. These oaths form the basis of all power and somebody telling you in a limited manner what you can do and what you cannot do. And as long as the statutes that Her Majesty gives royal assent to, as long as they don't violate God's law, then they're binding. That's the nature of our, our government. If they do violate God's law, then you have the power to refuse to comply. And that is where your power of lawful, peaceful, civil disobedience comes from at law. Anything that Her Majesty passes um, through Parliament or the ledge that you can show violates her laws, you do not have to comply with. So getting back on the issue of schools, they took her, uh, the Lord's Prayer out of school and God saved the Queen at the end of the day. And all that the schools are teaching right now about the benefits of the LGBTQ community and um, you know how you can be gay, you can be queer, you can get uh, trannies and, and, and all the, the sexual orientation stuff that they are teaching in schools violates, completely violates God's laws. And any statute in the province that authorizes those teachings, any order that authorizes those teaching can be confidently challenged on the basis that they violate God's laws in the Bible that Her Majesty swore to uphold, and the MLAs, that they swore to uphold as well. Usury is another example. Usury or interest is prohibited in the Bible. We've had interest for 300 years because the bankers got into the monarch. Almost 80% of all your national debt is based on interest and taxes. The majority, of course, is interest. Only 40 billion of, of an $800 billion debt before COVID was uh, interest, I'm sorry, principal. The rest was all compound interest. We're not supposed to have usury in our money system. And yet the monarch is allowing it. The entire bank act can be struck as being unconstitutional on that basis alone. So MLAs and MPs, they take an oath of office and an oath of allegiance before they get into power. You can't sit as an MP or an MLA unless you take an oath of office and an oath of allegiance to Her Majesty because you are her agent. And your only job as an MLA or an MP is to aid and advise the monarch. And you cannot aid and advise the monarch for her to give royal assent and break her oath to do that. And that's been well documented over, over centuries. And if parliament or the legislature makes a statute, the governor general or lieutenant governor, as the case may be, if it violates God's law, they have the power and the duty to refuse to sign it. They are breaking the law by allowing this legislation that violates Her Majesty's oath to go through and sign it. They are breaking the law and they are breaking their oath as well by signing it into power. So the MPs and the MLAs, notwithstanding party allegiance, they are breaking the law because their oath to Her Majesty overrides their party allegiance, not the other way around. And they should not be swearing an oath to do something and then going ahead and breaking it because they don't want to get kicked out of the party. As for judges, Lord Denning, many years ago um, in England, 
one of the greatest modern judges of all time, he specifically said, there has to be a science of law, not a lawless science. And without getting into all the details, um, the science of law means there's an agreement, a contract, and the oath, the coronation oath, as Blackstone said, is a contract. Her Majesty takes it, swears it in, and has duties that flow from it. And the judges are agents of Her Majesty who they swear an oath of allegiance and an oath of office. And it's interesting that if you go his oath today, it simply says, I will be I will be true, bear true allegiance to Her Majesty. And that's about it, which is a really shortened version of what it used to be. Um, today's oath, you look at it, it really doesn't have any meaning. The underlying meaning is still there pursuant to the oath, but the words, you, you, it's too general and vague to understand it. But they are agents of Her Majesty, and they are required, when they're sitting as judges, if a statute comes before them that violates the coronation oath of Her, of, of Her Majesty, they cannot enforce it. They cannot allow it to come before the court in any way, period. And when you look at the coat of arms, Underneath the coat of arms in the courtrooms, it says, God and my law. And those coat of arms show that they represent the monarch. And it was said, um, and I forgot, I didn't mark the, the judge down, but it was once said that in all these courts, the sovereign is supposed in contemplation of law to be always present. But as in fact, that's impossible. He is there represented by his judges, whose power is only an emanation of the royal prerogative. The judge's power is only an emanation of the oath of the monarch that they have, and the judge cannot violate it. And the lawyers, they take an oath of office, an oath of allegiance as well, as do all government officials. And that oath and that uh, of office, an oath of allegiance, is there to preserve the Christian religion. But at some point, starting 50 years ago, roughly, people started to forget it. And they started to think it didn't mean anything. And look at the results that we've happened in less than 40, 50 years. Look what has happened. Because people have believed that the oath doesn't mean anything. It's just a formality. And it is not. It is the very foundation of all power. And if it doesn't mean anything, why do you have to swear it when you go to court and you want to give evidence? I'll quote you from King George III. He said, where is the power on earth to absolve me from the observance of every sentence of that oath? particularly the one requiring me to maintain the Protestant Reformed religion. Was not my family seated on the throne for that express purpose? And shall I be the first to suffer it to be undermined, perhaps overturned? No, I had rather beg my bread from door to door throughout Europe than consent to any such measure. I can give up my crown and retire from power. I can quit my palace and live in a cottage. I can lay my head on a block and lose my life, but I cannot break my oath. If I violate that oath, I am no longer legal sovereign in this country. And that was from King George III. And you can't really say it any better than that. You look at all the statutes that Her Majesty has violated since 1953, and, and she shouldn't be in power because she has broken her oath to us. And we have that power to say, sorry, I'm not gonna comply with any statute that violates your oath. The actual title of the monarch is, in this case, Queen Elizabeth II, by the grace of God of the United Kingdom, Canada, and her other realms and territories, 
queen, head of the commonwealth, defender of the faith. Remember those words, defender of the faith. That comes directly from her oath. And it's not every faith. She's not defender of, of any other faith or religion other than the Protestant Christian religion. That's it. And if she not only does, um, not only allows statutes to be passed that violate biblical law, but if she promotes any other religion, directly or indirectly, by simply allowing people that have other religions to come into the country. It's a contentious issue, but it's a fact, and it's a law. She's breaking her oath when she goes and does that. In the Coronation Oath Act, which was established in 1688, um, it was simply done to make certainty to the terms of the oath. The essential words were the same since 973 AD, but there had been some uncertainties that had cropped up here and there. So they, they wanted to certain, certain, make it certain. And the one thing in that oath, in that act, I should say, that is very clear is that she swears to protect you in your property rights. That's part of her oath. So thing that ever happened was that property was not included in the charter because then it would have been subject to section one. I dare say that section one of the charter is a violation of Her Majesty's oath anyway. And a really good, competent lawyer would have no problem arguing that in court, successfully arguing that in court, I might add. No problem whatsoever. But property is in our constitution. It's part of our laws and customs that existed before the monarch even took, the, uh, took, took her oath. Even before that, it was part of our laws and customs, and it goes back to biblical times. You want to trace the law of property, it goes back to the law of Moses, um, law of God that Moses gave. What did he say? Thou shall not steal. You can't steal unless it presupposes somebody else has property. That's where the origination of property in our law comes from, that the monarch swore and promised to uphold in the first place. And all the law that takes away your property process of law or on a presumption that you have to prove otherwise, tax law, for example, all of that is a fundamental breach of her oath, a breach of God's laws, and a breach of trust by Her Majesty, by all the monarchs that have done that. So um, in conclusion, what I want to point out today, I, I am going to be doing a much more comprehensive seminar on this. I'm still working on, um, on some of the slides on them right now, but I'm going to be doing one shortly. And that coronation oath that the monarch took, especially for people who are, are Christians, is the fundamental source of power. That's where the power comes from for somebody to say to you, you're going to do something. And that's why it's called the limited monarch for that very, very reason that it's not an absolute monarch. And there's serious limitations to what the monarch can say, what she can do, and what laws she can pass, what orders she can give. And all Trudeau, the communist, all members of the legislature, members of parliament, all the, the only power that these people have is to aid and advise Her Majesty. That's it. They don't have the power to pass law. All they have is the power to tell Her Majesty, we're aiding, excuse me, we're advising you, this would be a good law to pass. 
And then the monarch is required to review it, make sure it complies with her coronation oath. And if it does, then she can the governor general or lieutenant governor. And if they're violating it, then I go back to what uh, a gentleman said years ago. If parliament or the legislature is violating their oath of office and oath of allegiance to Her Majesty, and they're aiding and advising Her Majesty to do something she cannot lawfully do because of her oath, that Her Majesty is required to tell them to cease and desist. If they do not, then Her Majesty is required to dissolve Parliament or the legislature and bring in a new one, I'll call new elections and have that done. And if the government still doesn't comply, then the monarch is required to bring in the armed forces and kick them out, if not try them and put them in jail. Because the oath of office and oath of allegiance by the armed forces is to Her Majesty. They're not taken to the prime minister or the premier of the province. I told that on the front lines to a number of, of um, police officers that were there face to face. And I explained that to them, that um, their oath was not to Trudeau or the Emergencies Act or, or orders that he had passed. It was to Her Majesty and they were breaching their oath. One person kind of nodded. I was really surprised. One person nodded, but still stood there. So the armed forces can then come in and get rid of Trudeau. And that might be one option we should be looking at is reminding the armed forces. The, the problem with there is the armed forces have been corrupt right at the top, of course, too. So they might even come back and say, yeah, well, um, we're not going to do it. We agree, but we're not going to do it or some excuse that they may come up with. But the law is there. And if the governor general told the general in command of the armed forces, you go in and get Trudeau out of there, they would have to comply by law to do that. So I urge you to think about that from a new perspective now, when we look at laws, A, how they're passed, and the limitations of what the monarch can do to give royal assent to that legislation. And there are serious, serious limitations to what she can do. And um, I hope that provides a little basis for what we're going to talk about in the next four to six weeks when um, when the, the presentation I'm done is, is going to be done. I'm going to get into a lot more than just the oath. I'll be talking about personhood. Um, I did a phenomenal amount of research on, on what personhood is in Canada, which ironically was started because a woman just was running out of the library at UBC and banged into me and her papers went flying. And, um, She's apologizing profusely, and I, I just said, "What's the rush?" And she says, "I've got a, I've got a thesis I have to write on, on, on what a person is in law, and I got to get this done right away." And I went, "Oh, that's interesting." So then I started doing my own research. So I, I, I phenomenal what I found out about personhood in law. And keep in mind what God said in the in the Bible: He is no respecter of persons either. So I'll be talking that. I'll be talking on property rights and a lot of other really, really important stuff. Everything that I tell you everything i will show you on powerpoint and i will tell you where i got it from and it's backed up so you'll be able to verify it as well thanks tanya that's awesome david this is just a taste of what david has to come and so david when do you think that um this program will be ready i understand it's going to be about an eight or nine week course is that correct yeah yeah we got about 1100 powerpoint slides and um I've still got about another 100, 150 that I'm formatting right now. So I'm, I'm going to say roughly about six weeks. 
Okay, about six. I was hoping to get it. Yeah, I was hoping to get it done by now, but there's been a lot of legal, a lot of legal work to to keep going and on the side that we're doing. <laughs> yeah, 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 but it, it's coming along nicely, and um, when it's done, I guarantee you, nobody will be disappointed. Nobody. Right. Okay, well, I'm going to be making sure that um, on the Empower Hour, when it's ready to go, that we'll be promoting that course. And I think this is, I'm always saying knowledge is power, right? And when we've got this kind of information, we need to dig deep into it and we need to take that authority back and uh, make it work for us. So I think if you're ready, we're going to get into some Q&A. And I have a lineup of questions that I thought, there's about six here that I thought I would throw your way first. And then Terenzio, maybe once I get through these few questions, we could ask people to raise their hands and then they could uh, ask David a question directly. Copy that. That's good. All right. Okay. So David, first question. Uh, this is from Suzanne. She says, thank you so much. And so what will happen when the queen passes on her royal duties, whether through retirement or death? <laughs> um, there's a principle that it's called, there's no interregium, which means the minute Lizzie the lizard dies, as mm -hmm. we affectionately call her, um, the next person who's in line automatically becomes king or queen. I think it's Prince Charles right now. I stand yeah. corrected, but they will automatically become king or queen afterwards. If it's Prince Charles, he'll be king. And then within a certain period of time after that, they have to take their oath of allegiance and oath of office as well. Right. And do they have an option then not to take that particular oath? What if they say, I'm not taking this oath? Uh, we know, well, we've heard some rumors uh, about where royalty stand on the global scale. So what if he comes into uh, to be king and decides not to? Can he do that? Or that's just part of um, taking their oath he, and, and getting into that position? It's a condition of power. Okay. and they cannot refuse to take it. Um, the oath itself, um, in order to be changed, has to go through, has to be agreed upon by all premiers in Canada, the federal government in Canada, all heads of state are from all other Commonwealth countries, parliament in England, and the monarch itself. All, everybody has to agree in order to change it because they're all part of it. And uh, unless that happens, the new person coming in will um, will have to swear the oath as uh, per the Coronation Oath Act of 1688. And that's the other thing. Parliament will have to change that act itself in order to make the changes, too. Right. And there's a huge process that would be involved in that. So, so, oh, yeah. so far, we're feeling pretty secure then that these mm -hmm. are our rights. It will be maintained. And, and I should point out that... Sorry to interrupt. I should point out that somebody mentioned something in England a while back about... Um, the king coming in and, and, and removing God. And there was a big, massive outcry of opposition mm -hmm. and the public got really, really angry about that. Mm -hmm. So I think if they try to remove God or they're, they're gonna face such a backlash, it, it'll mm -hmm. really surprise them and they're not gonna like it. No, and I think that uh, with the growing tyranny has come a rise in awareness of Christianity and w the stand in the world of, of how that affects people's individual lives. And so I think if it were to happen now as well, there would be a huge uprising. I believe that yeah. I would pray for it. Okay, Ross has asked the question, uh, would you address the issues where the courts in Canada have held that the coronation oath is of no legal force or effect? And then he had in brackets, there are at least 10 to 12 in the 21st century. 
First of all, I raised the issue back in 05, roughly, in court. And my problem is I didn't put it to the court properly. So it wasn't really considered all that much. That was my problem. Um, I know now much better how to put it to the court after being in court so much uh, over the last 15 to 18 years. There's not a lot of decisions out there on it. What I will tell you is that the decisions that are out there were primarily, if not exclusively, put by by unrepresented people, um, people who didn't know how to frame the, the frame the challenge or whatever it was they were putting to the court. They didn't know how to frame it properly. They didn't get evidence on the record. There was a lot of defects in what they were doing in order to put it before the court correctly. My problem is my affidavits that I was using in support of it, um, I filed them in the court registry. And nobody told me that in order to get into evidence, I actually had to take the witness stand and, and submit them into evidence. The judge legally was required to tell me that, and he never did. So my evidence never got on the record. I learned that about uh, a year or two later. I learned that uh, the hard way, I might add. But that's why one of the reasons that my case failed is the evidence never got on the record, and it wasn't put pursuant to a court, uh, constitutional challenge at the time. And the other thing I want to mention is there was a case, and I'm going to talk about it in our in our presentation where somebody did try to go to court and change the oath and the judge specifically said i can't change it it's i don't have the power to change it your case is going to fail and it is failing and it went up to the court of appeal and they said the same thing that you cannot change the oath even if it violates the charter they said we cannot change the oath of her mm -hmm. majesty meaning the oath is supreme to the charter Yes. Period. And if and, and you could go in and you can make a constitutional challenge that that, that uh, section one of the charter violates Her Majesty's coronation. That can be done. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So that's why most that's why everybody has lost so far. It just hasn't been put to the court properly. And the lawyers, they're not going to do it. I phoned the um, Ontario Lawyers Christian Ontario Christian Lawyers Association many, many years ago. And I said, here it is. I've got it all. I've got all this research. I'll share it to you. No problem. Let's get it. Not one lawyer would take it. Not one. Yeah. And I said, you guys are Christians. Mm -hmm. Why would you not go for this and, and show the supremacy of God in our law and everything that comes with it? We don't want to talk to you. And the girl on the phone hung up on me. Is that right? Well, that's frightening. And, and maybe this is going to be a time, the time is coming, uh, where there's going to be lawyers who are willing to stand up. I was listening to James Kitchen the other day. He used to be with the JCCF. He's left. And I believe he's working with um, Liberty Coalition. And there he was. He was clearly stating he was working on behalf of a pastor who had been imprisoned, another one in Alberta, one of many under Jason Kenney's tyranny. And uh, he had, again, and said, just like I've been saying, that this is a Christian nation and that our principles are based on Christian principles. And this is not something that you get in other nations. He named Iran. He named several other countries that you do not have the privilege to live in the freedoms we do outside of having and being governed by biblical principles. So that's why I keep saying this is something we really need to fight for. All right, so thank you for answering that question. Next one, what does it mean when our prime minister swears allegiance to the queen when being sworn in? Is he swearing to the coronation oath? Well, he is swearing uh, allegiance to the monarch 
and he cannot aid and advise her to do anything she can't do. And if she, if he tries to get the monarch to do something that she has sworn an oath not to do, he should be charged with treason. Right. And so as an example, his oath. Yeah. okay. So as an example, we he he's passed so many different laws since he came into office uh, nearly seven or a half, six and a half, whatever years ago. One of them would be something like Bill C sixteen, which allows biological men into women's private spaces. And it has been sort of a um, catalyst to, well, the provinces had already passed uh, and, and created the amendment to the human rights uh, codes. And then the federal government did it. Uh, I believe all of these bills that are outside of and in violation of the coronation oath need to be rescinded. They need to be overturned. Absolutely. Um, what I would do is I would pick the strongest ones and use those and then work your way down. Um, right. You don't want to pick something that, um, you know, some minor little uh, statute or whatever that says you shouldn't drive on this side of the road or something right. stupid like that. You want to pick something that has significant repercussions and meaning to it and uh, and use that and go after it. Absolutely. But right. these cases, you know, it, it it's um, in law, in constitution, it's simple. The obstacles are incredible. The judges are politically appointed, non-elected, and not accountable to anybody. And they cover up a lot of their corruption. That's one of the reasons, uh, getting back to the last question, why a lot of people haven't won, is because the judges are just corrupt, all mm -hmm. of them. And they're bought and paid for. You know, I, I was helping a friend in court, and I found out a year and a half later, the judge was fully on my side. And I, I think, why did we lose? And I find out we got contacted by a member of the government, inside the government, who knew and was part of the case. And they said, CRA threatened the judge to be audited if they ruled in our favor. Every judge is compromised. Everyone is compromised or they would not be sitting there. Right. So well, it's we going to be difficult. Have... You've got to get them in a corner they can't get out of. Right. We've had a couple make some positive decisions like the uh, judge in Ontario on behalf of that mother, uh, but it is far and few between. All right, let's get through one more and then we're going to bring a few people on to ask you uh, personally a question. What effect sure. or influence, if any, did the Constitutional Act of 1982 have in today's Constitution since then? I'm... Well, it, it has had some benefits. For example, in disclosure law, um, people used to get a package, a uh, small package of information if you were charged with an offense, but the Crown determined what you were going to get, and half the time you didn't get hardly anything. After uh, 1982, uh, in the Stinchcomb case, the Supreme Court of Canada made it very clear you're entitled to everything that's relevant, whether it's good or bad, whether the Crown wants to use it or not, and it applies to you know almost all offenses. and the uh, um, it's been very powerful in that regard for for disclosure. It's, it's had a very good effect effect on disclosure law. On the other hand, there's been where they've used number one as you're aware, Tanya, to override a lot of uh, decisions that the government had no power to make in the first place. Um, it would be time consuming to start going through all of them, but has it had its benefits? Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's had some benefits, but that's the way law is supposed to be. Law is supposed to go up. It's not mm -hmm. supposed to go down. Yeah. And when you start talking about uh, communism, socialism, the supremacy mm -hmm. of the collective, and trying to use our law to that effect, then you're going down and we're losing everything. 
Um, yes. And that's intentionally. Like this is this of is course. a planned attack, just to it override is. and trample all over our constitution and the coronation oath, etc. Okay, uh, Terenzio, do we have somebody ready with their hand raised? Yes, we have a few questions. For those who would like to ask questions, please go down to the bottom right corner and click raise hand, and we'll try to get you in. First one we have is Roxy. Okay, I I, I guess one of them is. Like, I know the queen has to do what she swore to do, but I feel she's corrupt too. So I don't think that's going to work. And uh, I don't know. Um, by the time we get Trudeau into court, it's going to be too late. They're going to have everything done that they wanted to do to control us and take our freedom away. That's how I feel. They keep breaking laws, yet we have to wait. That, that's where our power of peaceful civil disobedience comes in. We should not be complying with any of these statutes. If you're a parent, you should not be putting your kids in school to be taught the garbage that they're putting in there that violate God's laws. Pure and simple, you have a duty as a parent not to do that. And you have the power to do that. And that's just one example. Some people have said, for example, well, we need to change the system. And my first question is, what are you going to change it to? Some people have said, well, we need a republic like the U.S. And I've said, look how corrupt it is down there. It is so bad. And they do not have the supremacy of God directly in their constitution like we do. We're the only, the Commonwealth is the only place in the world you have the supremacy of God directly in the constitution as the source of law that's required to be complied with. What are you going to do to get better than that? It, it's not the system per se. Granted, it needs tweaking. I mean, you got to get rid of political parties and a few other things, but the, the, uh, the, the, the problem is the corrupt people that we've put into power mm -hmm. and we do nothing about it. That's the problem. Get them out of power, and as Tanya's talked about, and I've talked about, and others have talked about, we need to get people in power that cannot be bought or sold. Mm -hmm. And then you will start seeing change. Even at a local level, you'll start seeing change made. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you so much, David, and that's why we've been pushing so hard. Join a chapter, you know, get, yeah. we're going to recruit people to run for office as school board trustees, us kind of people, you know, the good hearted grassroots people who understand who are going to go in there and actually represent our kids as trustees and represent uh, the community in uh, municipalities, etc. And I believe that if we get our numbers up within the chapters that we can take over elections, we can push the needle in favor of ourselves and get good people into office. And I think they're actually becoming a little bit afraid of us because uh, I think we're growing faster and better than what they'd anticipated. So please help us out on that. All right, next question. Hello. Hi Jess, are you there? Hello, what's your question? Uh, just a question there. Um, I'm wondering, David, if you're familiar with the concepts that Cal Washington talks about in terms of jurisdictions from down in the the uh, common law and law mercantoria and how that relates to your work. And then what he sort of states is that we don't have any ratified charter in Canada because um, Queen Victoria unenacted the BNA Act uh, when she died. She, she, she put in a clause in there essentially that it can't be unenacted. So then it kind of like his, his sort of theory is that we're operating under the Hudson Bay Charter, which maybe connects to what you're saying. So in, and in the Hudson Bay Charter, it says they can't create any law that is repugnant to the common law. So would the, the, the law of like the Protestant church be the common law? Is that what we're talking about here? Or does, that my, does my question make sense? Well, that the Protestant religion has generally been our law. 
and um, and the monarch has has sworn an oath to uphold that. I disagree that Queen Vic um, has repealed the BNA Act. The BNA Act, if you look, has never been repealed, and in order to be repealed, it would have to go through Parliament and repealing the entire Act. I know some sections have been repealed, um, but they have some of them were, were redundant with other sections, and that's one of the reasons they have statute law revision acts where they go back in the uh, and they and they go back and they repeal some of them. So the BNA Act still is in force and effect. Um, it was in force and effect in 1931 when the Statute of Westminster was passed and recognized under Section 7 of the statute that the BNA Act was uh, was still in force and effect. And yeah, our common law is still there, absolutely. And um, the monarch is still there to uh, to protect that. And um, I'm not sure where else you'd want me to go. It's more of a probably a private lengthy discussion than could be getting into gotten into right here. Suffice to say that um, the BNA Act still is in force and effect in my opinion, and the monarch is definitely bound to it. And uh, to argue otherwise, um, again, what are you gonna replace it with anyway? You're not gonna get anything better. In, in law, I'm talking in law. In fact, of course, I mean, she's not been a very good queen with all the laws she's given, given royal assent to through her um, governor general and so on. But that's a different issue, of course. Right. Okay. Thank you, David. Um, so while uh, Terenzio set somebody else up here, so when he talks, when you talk about property, does that include my money in the bank and my financial holdings? What about freezing assets? Absolutely, it does. Mm -hmm. And uh, FinTrack, in my opinion, is completely unconstitutional and unlawful. Everything they're doing, everything they're doing to take them out, the, the freezing of um, the money from the truckers in their convoy is completely unconstitutional. And the problem is none of these lawyers are, are putting it to the court properly. Many of them don't even know it, it exists. Mm -hmm. And uh, and, and that's the, uh, the problem. But to answer your question succinctly, the answer is yes, absolutely. Okay, super. All right, Trenzio, do you have somebody else lined up? Yeah, let's try Irene again. Hello, I observed my employer a notice of liability last March 21. And then I follow up with another letter, April 4. Um, I haven't ordered the book yet from David Lindsay, and I'm not sure um, what is my next step. Going you served your employer with notice of liability? Yes, March 21. And I did another follow-up April 4. So I, I sent it through registered mail uh, with my autograph and uh, top mark. Are you still working there? No. <coughs> I was put on leave and then later on I was, uh, they sent me a letter like a terminate, termination letter. Right. I think that your question is something that is going to require a private conversation. It's just simply they're going to there's too many questions that I have in response that we wouldn't be able to get into right now. So mm -hmm. um, if we can put my email there, if somebody, if you wanted to send me an email or something, I could, uh, I could definitely talk to you privately about it for sure. Okay, okay, super. And we'd also recommend that you go to our past Empower Hours back in the fall of 2021, where David came on as special guest and we answered oodles of questions just like this. And we were prepared preparing people to uh, lay private information as well. So I would recommend that. Okay, uh, Terenzio, next person, please. Next question is from Vlad. Hello, if you can hear me. Yes, we can hear you. 
Excellent. Uh, I have proposal for David. We took, we have a lot of trouble with our mask mandates and other mandates and lawyers trying to talk a lot, but no help. Maybe somebody from Lawrence can, can create some kind of special case that show this experience for other people. For example, you could uh, decrease prices for your teaching for 20 or 10 bucks and find several thousand clients and say and get more money if you decrease your price. And for example, I know people who creating uh, criminal and uh, cases for mask mandates and so on. And it will be minimum at least one win somewhere, at least some experience for other people. Thank you for your help. I um. I think in order to get something before the court, it's either going to require um, myself doing it or some lawyer who is a committed Christian that's willing to do it and willing to work with me because I have a lot of information and a lot of knowledge that I could share with the, the lawyer if they would be willing to work on it. Um, the question is trying to find somebody right now. Uh, I think finding a lawyer who's not Christian, you won't get the same commitment to, to putting this forward, um, especially because most of the lawyers have been compromised uh, as well, and they get threatened from the law society. So it definitely needs to be a committed Christian lawyer to, to do that. And um, if we can find one, I'd be more than happy to work with them and to get the, the appropriate test case filed with the court where we would be guaranteed to win on it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, thank you, David. I'll just ask a question, uh, and thank you, Vlad. And um, as Terenzio gets somebody else lined up, if the coronation oath is being openly violated by our leading politicians and officials, example, the law does not apply to them, then how can we hope to challenge them on the basis of the coronation oath? Well, the oath is the supreme law. And if they're violating it, it's simply a question of what are you going to do about it? And the options are peaceful civil disobedience, and refusing to comply, that that needs to be done no matter what. And the second one is um, is taking the monarch to court. Historically, you you the uh, historically Her Majesty or the monarch could not be pleaded in her own courts, and pleaded in her own courts, and it was really difficult to get justice that way. That's changed, and you now can take the monarch to court even in the, their own courts. And notwithstanding the judge's oath of office and allegiance to the monarch, they also have an oath to be impartial. In, in the execution of those duties. That's part of their oath of office, is to be impartial when they're giving judgment. So you wanna be able to, as I've said, um, the term I use is to pigeonhole them in a corner they can't get out of. And mm -hmm. I've done that myself in the past on a couple of occasions and, and been successful. But ultimately, those are the two primary weapons that we have of, of getting justice. And getting it into the court requires time, preparation, study, getting your case planned out before you even file it with the court and so on. It's uh, it's a lot of effort, as Tanya found out, to to get it. And even with a lawyer, it takes a lot of time to make sure you get it done correctly. So the first thing mm -hmm. is we need a, a committed Christian lawyer. And I'm hopefully we're going to have some of them on our uh, presentation in, in, in roughly six weeks when we when we start to do that, because um, they're, they will learn a lot as well. Right, exactly. Thank you so much, David. Um, okay, Terenzio, did you have, let's have two more people have questions. It's uh, 6.30 already. Time goes by quickly. And uh, do you have somebody lined up there? Yes, uh, Robert. I have a question just in regards to the technology of 
Judge David hyphen Wayne Miller. Um, he uses the parse syntax grammar uh, to, I guess, debunk the words in contracts. And my question is with Her Majesty, when she's speaking in some of her oaths, there's uh, words that have, uh, I guess, double meaning, double talk. And some of those words are very negative. Um, so how does that affect us if we want to use the coronation oath uh, to get back to work? I'm a Canada Post employee, and they've uh, basically <clears throat> denied any, uh, they forced the masks, forced the vaccine, um, and they're not recognizing anything from me as an employee there. So I just assembled well, that technology. Um, I just wonder if I'll, it I'll, I'll answer your, your question at one point. There's not been any English writing that I've ever seen in any English literature that mirrors what David Wynn Miller was teaching. Um, okay. He was in the States. He's now deceased, I believe. Yeah. And I'm, I've talked to a lot of people over the years. Um, I'm, I'm not a supporter of, of what he teaches with respect to the English language. And um, to, to go and try and plead that, you're going to have to start pleading that that law should be accepted in the first place which means you would need some sort of challenge just to get that that accepted and, and the courts recognizing it. And there's no legal, historical or other uh, information to back it up in Canadian law that is going to back that. Um, keep in mind, he's an American and a lot of the American stuff doesn't apply up in Canada anyway, especially with the court system, which has gone on divergent paths from, from where we've gone on. Um, so I, I, I'll just leave it at that, that in my opinion, what Wynn Miller is teaching, uh, if somebody was to go and use it, you're, um, you're lining yourself up for a possible psych assessment in the courtroom. Uh, if you don't know what you're talking about, it, it can be very dangerous. Okay, so I, I'm going to have two, but I'll ask this one. Uh, from Nathan, the lawyers also take a vow, oath to the bar, which has precedence in Canada, or oh, like which one has precedence in Canada, the oath to the coronation or to the bar? The oath to the monarch has, has um, um, priority over everything. The um, lawyers are officers of the court, which mm -hmm. is a duty to her majesty. And if they start pleading something in court, similar to what MPs do, um, that violates her majesty's oath, the judges can't give, uh, cannot recognize it in court. So if they start trying to get the judge to do something that Her Majesty can't do as well in court, they too can, can find themselves in hot water. So everything starts at the top, and that top is that coronation oath. It binds the monarch and it binds everybody who is allegiant to her uh, or an oath of office to her as well. The membership in that to the bar, that comes next. Okay, and so what would you say... I know it's awfully hard to remove a judge. Have you ever seen it happen? Has it ever yes. happened in Canada? Yep. And is there any steps that we could be taking because they are in definite breach of their oath to uphold the criminal, co um, the criminal code and the constitution charter rights in Canada? Yeah, there was a judge in Kamloops. Uh, I was before him once and I found him just to be a real rude, arrogant judge, but he got mm -hmm. removed because he, I mean, he was swearing in court and causing all kinds of problems for people. And um, so, yeah, he, um, complaint got made to the Law Society. Uh, no, not Law Society, it was to the Judicial Council, I believe. And, um, and he was removed, absolutely. And uh, he's not the only one that it's had happened to. It has been done for sure. So um, judges can be removed. 
absolutely. And the judicial councils, um, kind of like the, um, uh, how do I put it? it it's kind of like um, they're, they're corrupt because they're going to be protecting their own as well for the most part, right? So to get judges removed is very, very difficult. Um, you need some, some good evidence to, to do that. And saying that they didn't uphold their oath, in many cases, they'll say, well, I made an error. Well, yeah, you made an error, you made an error. How do you get somebody removed for making an error unless it's repetitive, of course, and then you can plead negligence on, on the judge. Mm -hmm. He simply doesn't know what he's doing. So yeah, it's just very, very difficult to, to get a judge removed. Um, but I'm it can be done. That. It can be done, yeah. absolutely. It can okay. be done. Well, it has been done. Yeah, I was just seeing Kat had uh, posted here some years ago, we raised enough of a fuss and had a judge from Northern BC removed from the bench. And this just may be the direction we need to go. I know for the judges in Alberta who have been uh, closely tied in trying to take down pastors, especially Pastor Artur, uh, oh boy, what they have done has just been so criminal. And so we, wanna, we want to maybe provide some posters uh, we think people should know who these judges are and uh, bring some attention to them because they have made decisions in the court that have severely uh, affected innocent people's lives, like Pastor Artur, who has to go out in public and face the criticism. Um, shouldn't they have to go out in public and face the criticism for what they've done as well? I don't think that they should be protected from this. I'm not calling for violence, of course. I'm just calling for accountability. What a, a friend of mine did years ago in Alberta, uh, he got screwed by a, a JP in court. So he did up flyers listing what this JP had done and they delivered it all around Southern Alberta, including where the JP lived, but they did not go on his property. They left his house mm -hmm. out. So he didn't have no idea until his neighbors and everybody started phoning him. And, and, and they were going, what the heck are you doing? And he's going, mm -hmm. what? And, um, the only qualification I would add is that the flyers were well researched and well backed up. It, the last thing you Absolutely. want to you want to do is put something out about anybody, let alone a judge, where you're not able to back up what you're putting in the uh, in the flyer because mm -hmm. you could not only get in, in trouble yourself, it can make make everybody look bad, right? But I just wanted I to point that, out that it yeah. was done. Yeah, no, we would just tell the truth about decisions that they made and let people make uh, you know come to their own conclusions as to whether or not that was good. So I think that's pretty simple and harmless. And all right, let's go to our last question, Terenzio. All right, last question is from Carla. There you go. Hi. Hello. Yes, hi, Carla. Um, I, hi, how are you? Hope all is Good, well. thank you. Yes. I was just um, inquiring, I was inquiring about the, um, the, the vaccine passport for traveling and the mandates not being lifted. I know someone uh, queried it earlier about 810 or so, but I'm, I might have not been on the Zoom, so I didn't hear the answer. What's I'm your specific sure what question? question? Uh, um, has anyone, uh, the question was, has anyone challenged the airlines uh, to board and fly on a commercial airline as of late that has not been vaxxed. But I, I wasn't on the call at the time, so I, I, I don't know if that was answered. I don't think it was okay. asked. 
No, I don't think oh. that question has been asked yet. I, we know that Brian Peckford, Sheila has already posted it in the chat, is yeah. taking okay. legal action uh, about Ooh, what's going okay. on as far as travel is concerned. Okay, yes, I've, I've been watching what he's been doing too as well, but I just thought maybe there was something uh, um, Action for Canada was doing as well. So I thought no. that's what the question was. About. Okay, so no, because Mr. Peckford has taken this on, uh, we don't want to recreate the wheel, right? We've got okay. all of us only have so many resources to be responsible with. So I figure that okay. case is in very good hands. And uh, okay. so we'll just hope and pray for a great outcome for them. Okay, okay. thank you. Thank you. You know what, Trenzio, maybe let's make that one more question directed to, uh, specifically at David. Okay. And then we'll wrap this evening up. Next question is from uh, Richard. Richard, if you Hi, can Richard. please unmute yourself. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, David. Yes. Hey, greetings. Presentation. Very good. Um, I just wanted to quickly ask you, the UK has an unwritten constitution where the queen is just a symbolic figure. So she has no power. And if she did try to get involved in uh, laws or politi politics, uh, things would get very unpredictable. Does that affect your argument at all? That position is, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, <sighs> convention, um, that Her Majesty will, um, signed laws by parliament and that parliament is supreme. If parliament is supreme, you wouldn't need royal assent by the crown, by the monarch in the first place. They would just go and do whatever they want. They need royal assent by the, by the monarch in order for legislation to be valid in England as well as here. And the information, a lot of what I'm talking about comes directly from England. And they cannot recommend to Her Majesty to give royal assent there to legislation that violates her oath as well. It is not a symbolic position. People who are claiming it's symbolic are people who are there breaking the law and trying to maximize power and control to do whatever they want, pure and simple. And they're trying to get Christianity out of our law because that, that's the whole purpose for, for doing that is so that they're not responsible to uphold Christian principles throughout Parliament. So I disagree. Um, in Canada, they've tried to argue that by convention, the uh, governor general just rubber stamps everything by parliament. Th that may be, uh, that may be what they're doing, but it's not lawful for him to do that. And if he simply says, well, uh, I'm doing it because the last guy did it and the last guy did it, uh, rubber stamped everything by parliament and I'm gonna do it, even though it violates her majesty's laws that I'm representing, then they're breaking the law as well. And I go back to what I said earlier, all power flows from the oath. They are not trivial, they're not meaningless, and they're not uh, symbolic. They have a lot of constitutional meaning, and it's the very beginning of all power from the monarch. So um, I hope that answers your question in any event. Yeah, thank you, David. I've been calling the coronation of a buried treasure, but a living document, yeah. <laughs> if, if that could make sense, because it truly is. Um, you know, I know there's some people that have been sort of on this tyrant to say, uh, you know, saying that 
charter of rights is no good and you know it's causing all cases to fail you got to go with the bill of rights the bill of rights and and i think that's bringing people down rabbit holes we've got to understand uh you know there's some people that do a common law referring to not the common law that you uh support but the other kind saying we don't have a constitution and all of these if anything is bringing people down rabbit holes right now we we really need to make a decision We've got to support what we have. We've got to fight for what we have and what we know. It's right. hard enough to get Canadians to admit they have rights, that they didn't have to go into lockdown, that they don't have to wear masks. So let's try to keep it as on focus as possible. And then I'm just delighted to bring new information to the table that so people can get educated on for instance, this coronation oath that really drives it home that you thought the Constitution was good and the Charter of Rights and the Criminal Code supports you. Well, take a look at the coronation oath. And, and that just, uh, to me, I think it simplifies things and the direction and it really digs my heels into what the fight is all about in this nation, definitely for our Christian heritage and root. It is absolutely central to our freedoms. Could you, uh, let's wrap this up and I wanna give you a moment to address everybody. Do you have any final thoughts um, when maybe you're gonna have this course available and uh, we're looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks. Um, I'm hoping in about six weeks roughly to have it done. I'd hope to have it done um, earlier in late March or, or April, but uh, as usual, a lot of legal stuff has put it back a bit, but some work that's getting done every day on it. And like I said, there's about 1100 PowerPoint slides. So it's gonna be over about seven or eight, maybe even nine presentations um, that's gonna happen. So there's a lot of information to be shared and a lot of um, sources that I'm gonna reference for everybody to, to back it up. And they'll be able to um, email me and, um, and get questions asked and so on afterwards as well. Every, every um, seminar that I do will have a Q and A at the end as well. It's, um, I'm, I'm grateful that the amount of interest has finally peaked, that people are going and asking questions now about where laws come from, who is in charge, who's making them, the limitations of their power and so on, and are expanding their thoughts beyond, not just the Bill of Rights and the Charter, but beyond all of that to what powers your members of parliament have and what mm -hmm. they can do and what they can't do. And um, I, I'm grateful, you know, a lot of our rallies we just get massive ovations when people say our prayer at our rallies now all the time too. There's a lot of Christians out there, a lot who are really supportive of, um, of what's about to hopefully happen over the next couple of years to bring back Christianity back into the forefront right. of our law again. So I'm excited. Um, I'm really excited. This is, uh, is gonna make a big difference in our law. And um, mm -hmm. certainly the criminals and government are gonna come out of the woodwork to stop it. That's to be expected. But as you said, Tanya, let's stand on the truth and stand on our law and not let it go. Mm -hmm. um, right. Yeah. And those and those criminals are already coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> they're yeah. exposed, they're there. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's interesting to see because uh, I know you refer to how many Christians are beginning to stand up in Canada, but a, not, a lot of non-Christians are supporting the basis of what we're founded on as well. So together we are going to make a difference. We're going to continue to fight this fight. We're in it to win it, David. And, uh, you know, not enough people know about you in Canada and how much work that you have been doing in the background as far as helping to lay the private informations, the book that you wrote, the webinars, the time that you have been sacrificial in giving people um, as they email you 
and you answer questions just from the bottom of your heart. You are doing this for Canadians. You're not charging them and you have just been so generous with your time. The course, you're going to have a fee on the course, which I think is absolutely fair. And so we'll look forward to all of the information and uh, supporting that and helping people to become um, familiar with it and to be able to promote as many people as possible to sign up. And I yeah. think that one day when this is all over, your face needs to be on a stamp because, because, because of the difference you've helped make in Canada. And so I just really appreciate you and, and I'll be voting on that stamp when, when well, the thanks. time comes. You'll have to have one too. There'll be several okay. people out there. And... All right. Maybe even a coin, right? <laughs> So awesome. Well, thank That's you, good. my friend. Thank you so much thank for you. being on here tonight. We look forward to having you on again. Well, everyone, thank you. Thank um, you very much. again, thank you, David. So this is a, the end of another Empower Hour where we hope that you're feeling empowered and educated. Remember that we want to be able to equip you and educate you so that you can get out there and take action. And we encourage you to do that. Next week, we're having Pastor Arthur Pulowski on the show. We're very privileged and pleased to have him on. I've spoken with Pastor Arthur in private. We've talked about his journey um, in prison and there truly is persecution of Christians going on in Canada, and we need to address this. Um, as you know, last week we had Reverend Majed on. We will be working with him for Canadians against the persecution of Christians, and uh, so we're excited about the direction that this is all going and um, in working to overturn this. So I, I just want to, again, close off by saying how much we love you and appreciate you. Please tell others about Action for Canada. Help us on the mission to grow our chapters up and be part of that. If you're somebody that uh, is feeling prompted to run for office, we are creating a database. It's going to take a little time. We may not have everything done by the upcoming elections. Municipally, they're happening in Ontario, Manitoba, I believe, BC, and Nova Scotia it, coming this fall. So trustees, city councillors, mayors will be replaced come this fall. The good ones we want to keep. And so if you have a, um, a desire to run for office and a niggling, please get in touch with one of our Action for Canada chapters and we want to help you win that seat. So again, thank you. God bless you and God bless Canada.
abortions are completely 100% unlawful. Judgment will again be found on justice and those with virtuous hearts will pursue it. You have a virtuous heart if you are here today pursuing freedom and righteousness. And then verse 23 comes along with a promise. God says he will turn the sins of evil people back on them. He will destroy them for their sins. I take great comfort in that because I serve a mighty living God who has allowed us to go through this season of discomfort because we as a nation have turned our backs on him and we need to get right. So I am just gonna thank you so much. I'm going to say God bless you and God bless Canada.